What does it take to get beyond the damage of words? I'm Katrina Collier. Join me each week as I explore what it takes to step into a happier future. My guests are sharing their stories of when they realized that they needed help and what it took to take that first step so that you leave inspired and maybe even start on your own path to self-love, care, compassion, and of course, happiness. So without further ado, let's hear their stories. Caroline Ferguson, welcome to Beyond the Damage of Words podcast. I'm still giggling because we were obviously mispronouncing your name before we came on air, but more excited, (laughs) you are, of course, my favorite sensitive upstart, so I had to have you on. (laughs) I'm so so pleased. I'm just so chuffed to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I talk about high sensitivity so much through the book, so I can't wait to dive into this conversation but first and foremost like what led you into starting to work on yourself to starting to heal to starting to explore all these things was there a moment is there a well yeah I guess there was I guess there was um (laughs) it it was um I had this kind of itch for a very very long time uh that uh, I just felt you know I was born for something more and I didn't really know what that meant or 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 what it was I, I just kind of assumed that it was about writing because I wanted to be a writer I wanted to write mm-hmm. stories. I wanted to write screenplays. And then one day, lo and behold, I find myself as paid staff writer um, with a production company. And I thought, yay, I've made it. But actually, the feeling Amazing. was still there. That itch was still there. Yeah. And at that point, I decided I really had to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And then there was a moment which was on a train on my birthday. This is a story I, I tell quite frequently because it was such a moment for me. Um, it yeah. was October. It was about seven or eight at night. I was on this train. It was a rainy, dark night. I was on my way back commuting from work. October in England, I can feel it. Oh, Lordy. And it was my birthday and I was late for my own birthday dinner party that my cousin was throwing for me. And it was just grim. You know, I'd had a grim day and, um, and, and, and we won't even talk about menopause, but it was all of that. And I was on my way back and we basically ran over somebody on the line. And uh, I was in the front carriage so there was a dead person under the wheels of the train carriage that I was in and we had to wait on that train for three hours before they could get us off uh, it was an eight carriage crowded commuter train with standing room only and, and they had to bring us off down a ladder at the back and there were people in that front carriage that were grumbling and moaning about how inconsiderate it was for some See, strangely, that's person. where my head went. That's such an England yeah. thing, though. When you've lived here, oh. you do get pretty annoyed that they do it in peak hour. But at the same time, <laughs> I do feel the empathy. See, I get it. I get the two sides of how one would feel in that moment. And I was on my Dreadful. way to my birthday party. And it's an yeah. England thing. I'm sorry. It's an England thing, listeners. It's oh. <laughs> anyway, it too was, many, unfortunately. It was grismal. Uh. And I had a bit of a cry because I was just thinking, you know, um, somebody is not going home tonight. Somebody's son or child or daughter or husband or whatever is not going home tonight. And uh, I had a little bit of a go at one man who was particularly, you know, unempathetic about the whole thing. But after that, I realized I never did make my birthday party, of course. But after that, I realized that actually... The, that voice in my head that had been telling me for decades that I was born mm. for something more. Yeah. I just needed to listen to that and I needed to find out what my more was. And it turned mm. out, much to my great shock, um, that it was training to be a therapist, which had really not even been in my head before that. Um, yeah. But once that idea arrived, I acted on it really quickly and mm. I went off to therapy school to train to be a cognitive behavioral hypnotherapist. And 
And making that decision um, as rapidly as I made it, as completely as I made it, and starting the training a couple of months later, I realized was a single, it was just this massive pivot point in my life. And it was the single most important thing I've ever done for me, because never mind for for my clients subsequently, but Mm. um, training and learning the skill, the most important Mm. life skill, I think, of self-awareness. Yes. um, was was absolutely the most healing thing I did because I always used to think, you know, I was, if, if you said, stick your hand up, people who think they're self-aware, I'd have gone, oh my God, yes, me, me, me. But actually I really wasn't. I, what I was no, was self-conscious. self-awareness and then there's self-awareness. <laughs> well, the, the alternative, one of the alternatives is self-conscious and that's what I was. Yeah. Um, and self-awareness is really about getting to know yourself in depth, you know, absolutely yeah. to, to your Ooh, roots. Say that again, self-conscious. Yeah. Versus self-awareness. Yeah. Can you explain that for a second? That sounds interesting. Yeah. So so this came out of my mouth when I was doing a corporate talk. And uh, there's this wonderful woman called Tasha Urich, who's an organizational mm-hmm. psychologist, I think she is. And she is obsessed with self-awareness. And she's written the mm-hmm. book, literally written the book. It's called Insight. Go and read it. It's wonderful. Yeah. And um, I had just been doing some reading around mm-hmm. self Self, self awareness, and, and really, it's yeah. about understanding yourself in in detail. What it is that moves you, what triggers you, where the, all that mm. stuff has come from, what you value, yeah. your values, not the ones you've dragged mm. up behind you. And it's also the about having ones. this realistic the ones behind the masks. Yeah, it's about having this realistic view of how the world sees you as well. And mm. only according to her research, you know, if I go into a room and I always do this during a talk, I say, "Hands up, everyone who thinks they're self aware." And I'd say, yeah. you know, three quarters of people in the room will be good looking around going, huh, is that, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> and I have to say to them, well, that's, that's admirable that, 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 you know, you think you are, but actually this, the facts are that less than 15% of you are truly naturally self-aware, which is incredibly inconvenient considering it's the most important yes, life skill. It really is. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I would have said, yeah, I was one of those, but I really wasn't. So when I was in this room, I was saying to people, and then somebody said, so what are the rest of us? And I just, it just came out, self-conscious. <laughs> sort of, oh, <gasps> went around the room and they all went, oh my God, it is true. It's true. Yeah. Um, so self-consciousness is really about having this, obsession with how the world sees you <laughs> and this sensitivity yeah. about how the world sees you and this paranoia yeah. about how the world sees you um and you know all the troubles that that causes. Okay, you just well. have to look at teenage girls you know this it's mass not. of self-consciousness and the damage that that could cause because it doesn't go hand in hand with self-awareness no uh, and what- actually to me it sounds like me when I had self-hate mm. I was very self-conscious. And then when you do become, like you're saying, you unearth all of the stuff and you start to love all of your stuff about yourself, cellulite, warts and all, actually, then you do become much more self-aware because you You do do. notice your impact on other people. You do. And Um, and the fantastic thing I always say to people is is I am living proof that you can learn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But it's helpful because when people realise that and they own it, they admit it. It's like, oh, my God, she's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, the, the alternative, the other alternative is self-focused, mm. which is mm. you know, slight, slightly different as well. But what we want to be is self-aware and we can do the work. There yes. are ways that we can learn how to yes. do that. And it is a lifelong path for me. You know, I have moments mm. every day or every week where I think, oops, just learned something new there. Um, you know, file that one away. 
Uh, so, yes. Yeah, so, see, what so you just said, I've, what you've just said, I've also um, was just speaking with Lynn Hanford Day about then you have this self compassion, like, oh, yeah, 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 ooh, yeah. Or actually, I didn't react the way I'd like to have. What was that about? Was yes. there a trigger? Was there this? And then you start being curious, don't you? Absolutely. And self awareness can be the start point for all of that. Yeah. When you know yourself better, you can accept. Self-acceptance comes and then we've got compassion that follows. And curiosity as well, because curiosity is the opposite of judgment. So foster that compassionate curiosity Mm. is by hammering into people. Well, yeah, and and it's it's being aware enough as well as the voice, the dialogue in your head, isn't it? Like Mm -hmm. what are you saying to yourself in that moment when you should be being kind and compassionate? So you're sitting on this train. And mm. you're having a typical highly sensitive moment. I was. Where you're cr- crying for the poor soul that's been lost. Yes. And the yes. family. I was bleeding down what? there on the track. <laughs> and I was. I'd have been doing both, by the way. <laughs> and his mother's I'd have been home. irritated and having a cry. Like I would have been doing the two. When did you discover your high sensitivity? Uh, I. As, it was in the first few months of my training, actually. We had yeah. this lovely lecturer who came in and did a session for us about something. And she um, she's talking about something and then she just sort of threw out there in a really casual way. Oh, but of course, I'm a highly sensitive person. And then it just carried on talking. And my little and like m- monkey, no, no worse. <laughs> my little monkey was going, ooh, I'm a highly sensitive person. Get me. you know. And it was just judgment. <laughs> it was judgment, pure and simple. Yeah. And then I, I felt slightly ashamed of myself. So... Um, so I shut up, but it, it sort of stayed with me that moment because I also thought, how ballsy of her to just say that because it's not something to be proud of, you know. Um, no, because there's sensitivity shaming. I yeah. talk about that in the book too. It's, it's um, rife. <laughs> and a couple of months, uh, weeks later, we had uh, another of our, our tutors, an absolute goddess, Maggie Chapman. She was oh, just my heroine. Um, we were doing a role play and I was playing the role of the therapist. And yeah. It's really interesting when you become a therapist, when you wear that hat, you become a therapist. It's really yeah. interesting. Whereas when you're role-playing the therapy, mm. all of that goes away. That wisdom goes away. So there I was playing the therapist and one of my uh, fellow uh, study people, learners, mm. was the therapy and he revealed something as a result of the role-play we were doing that none of us mm. had known and that was shocking. Uh, a moment in his life that was shocking. Mm. And after a pause for me to ask whether he was okay and wanted to continue, he said, yes, he just seemed, you know, relieved, unburdened, and, and we uh. continued. And at the end of the role play, it was like, Phew. and Maggie said to both of us, you know, well handled, both of you, are you okay? And we both went, yeah. Mm. And she said, right, Caroline, you go into the therapies chair. I went to that chair and I immediately burst into tears. <laughs> You know, I thought I was okay, but I really wasn't. And I just burst into tears. And and then Maggie said to the class, I'm sure Caroline won't mind me saying that she's a textbook example of an HSP, absorbing all of that feeling and feeling all of that stuff. And then I said to her, you know, Joy mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and and I I sort of wrote it off, but I sort of remembered (laughs) it. Now I need to find out some more about this. So I went out and I bought the book. And of course, it was just like a homecoming. You know, it was absolutely like a homecoming. Um, Apart from this one thing that kept recurring, where they say that HSPs have a tendency to, because we're all different, but have a tendency to be much more cautious 
then other people are much more risk averse. And I was going, huh? Mm. <laughs> I don't recognize that bit, you know. I don't I, recognize I, that bit either. <laughs> I rode most bikes. We before bonded I drove over this car. though, didn't we? Exactly. <laughs> and then there was a page in the book that referred to high sensation seeking and the fact that 30% of HSPs are also high sensation seekers. And yeah, it's and such just, a contradiction as well. It, it is. And there's that push me, pull you thing going all the time about, oh, I'm so, you know, I need to, I need to just stay safe and calm and understand. But then I need to go see new part. things. But then I need to get on my motorbike. Yeah, exactly. Then yeah. I, need to try I want to go see new. something new. I don't want to stay here. I'm in a rut. <laughs> yeah. And it's new, intense and varied experiences yeah. of what the sensation part seeking part is looking for. Yeah. And then the sensitive part. Um, mm. Although, yes, we've got this rich inner world and this vibrant imagination that can wander yeah. all over the place. You know, you actually put us in these situations. It's like, oh, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Not sure oh, about it's this. It's quite amazing. <laughs> so, so, we should yeah. actually, we should explain the contradiction, shouldn't we? So, yes. my understanding highly sensitive people, it is a genetic trait from, and it's about 15 to 20% of the population. And basically, yeah. all our senses are above the normal range. So, we hear yes. stuff, feel stuff, smell stuff. See stuff, Claire. I'm trying to think, but more it, than it the usual be. person, it can be. And yeah. it's it's a technical Actually, my name is on sensory. Taste. Oh yes, yes, I'm a super taster yeah. as well. Um, the technical term for it is sensory processing sensitivity. Yeah. So it's everything that we process for, through through our five senses. Um, yeah. It's heightened. Higher. Um, yeah. And everyone again is a bit different, but there are certain. Mm. Uh, abilities, I suppose, and, and features that, that yeah. commonly crop up. Not everyone will have all of them, but I think the most important one is the ability to notice and observe what's going on through everything. multiple channels. Everything. So we're seeing it, we're hearing it, we we're see everything. It. We're, we're, <laughs> yeah. and, and we notice things at this micro level of detail, this subtle yeah. level of detail that other people don't see, which makes mm. us incredibly valuable at work because we can spot things and make you know spot yeah. patterns and themes before they become real problems. Mm. And another thing is this rich, this vivid inner world and this rich imagination, which means we can solve those problems because we can come up with ideas and solutions exactly. that other people might not see. So we're brilliant yeah. at that. But we mm. do have a tendency with all of that noticing and observing and kind of processing at depth it can overwhelm us. It can overload mm. us from a sensory point of view, from a central nervous system point of view. And I tend to talk about in terms of like we've, each of us humans has this bucket of stuff that we can tolerate in a day. And, <laughs> and with us, we start with our bucket half full, you know, our bucket's yes. already half full. That's so good, isn't it? And when it overflows, when there's too much going on, it overflows, yeah. we don't always behave terribly well. I get no. snappish, you know, and I need to get myself away from that situation yeah. because we need to calm our nervous systems down. We need to mm. let the level in the bucket drop so that we can just exactly. deal with ourselves, deal with life. So, so it, it's, assume... it's so many gifts, but it has some challenges. Oh, well. it is so many. I mean, it is so many gifts. I use it in so many different ways. I think actually that problem solving, our ability to see six different solutions to a problem like yeah. that is just amazing. And people say, how do you do that? And you think, I don't know, I just do. I don't know. (laughs) And also I didn't realise, I mean, it's not a neurodivergence, but in a way it is because it is. we are born with different brains. Yeah. But it's, it's, uh, I love it. I love it. The more I understand about it, but I just wish people didn't shame, you know, like when people spray their deodorants and I react or I walk past someone with perfume, I'm like, oh my God. Unfortunately, that's our world. And I just wish people would stop shaming. 
So once you discovered that, how did that help you as far as? Did so, you, I mean, you obviously studied it. I've had you talk about I it. Did. But it uh, I did. I did, yes. You, um, I realised that it, it, the understanding that I was a highly sensitive person and that it mm. was genetic, it was wired into me, mm. um, it just gave me a massive understanding and a massive compassion for my past yeah. self, for everything yes. that I'd been through. Um, mm. I went to boarding school when I was nine years old. You know, that wasn't any fault oh. of my parents. My, my dad was a diplomat. They didn't have decent schools in half the places we were in. So, oh. but when you send a very sensitive small child away from home, it, yes. it was, it was uh, damaging. Hard. <laughs> it was damaging, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and the toughness that I had to learn uh, has stood me in good stead, but I think there would have been easier ways to learn that. You know, it, really, it was very difficult. And as, as a lot of the work you've, done being on that like going back to that inner child and healing and yes I I did I have been back to her um mm. I've done quite a bit of work there but I found mm. actually that developing self-awareness and having an mm. understanding of how I've got to who I am and, mm. and how I got here helped yeah. with that anyway it Perfect. just helped with that anyway, because mm. one of the one of the keys to self awareness and also to the to the work that I, that that I was studying cognitive mm. um, behavioural uh, hypnotherapy it was a, it was a form called rational emotive behaviour therapy and it's really based around our beliefs. Now I right. tend to call those our stories now, so I talk about stories and the most important story in the world, the most important mm. question in the world for me is what's the story I'm telling myself right now that's leading me to feel like this. Yes. Um, because that helps you to unearth the belief that you've got about a situation, but yeah. also to understand that it's that belief that's driving your emotions and driving your feelings and driving what you're doing and not doing. And when I learned to think like that. it also makes like you take that, ownership, doesn't it? It completely does. It makes yeah. you accountable for your own feelings. What's the story yes. I'm telling myself about the situation that is leading me to feel like this? And when you can tune into what I call the inner radio, which is broadcasting yeah. all these stories, you know, our self-talk, when you know how to tune in yeah. and challenge that story and change that story, Amazing. it changes everything. Very, yeah, because you've moved from victim everything. to, hang on, I have some control here. Agency. I'm playing a part to role, yeah. a part in this, and then, yeah. well, what shall I change to get a different yeah. outcome? And I talk it's, to my clients about this and they say, you mean I've been doing it to myself? And I'm going, yeah, but that's yes. really good news. It's really good yeah. news, trust me. Yes, well, we've actually, been brutalising ourselves. But that the only thing so we can change is us. Yes. But that leads so perfect into what I, like is a theme throughout the book. So mm -hmm. the book is The Damage of Words. And obviously this is beyond because yes. I want to talk to people who've got beyond the damage. But we take the words that we heard that were potentially yes. damaging and then yes. we play them. Like yes, you've just said do. with your clients, it's suddenly yes, gone. Yes, we do. I've been, and we do, I did for two decades. You yeah. know, I just. Yeah. Because well, we don't know how longer, not Because I probably did it in my teens as well. So, yeah. you know, probably three decades. We don't know yeah. how not to. Um, no. And the thing about self-worth, it's that, that it has its roots in the, in the messages we absorb from childhood and the treatment mm. we receive in childhood. Absolutely no yeah. doubt about that. But mm. as adults, we perpetuate it because we don't know how not to. And um, I have people that come to me to say, um, you know, I need to sort out my self-worth. I feel really, really bad about myself and I'm constantly mm. criticizing myself and I feel so unworthy and not good enough. 
And yeah. so, you know, we take that on, we start doing the work. And then, you know, a couple of weeks in, they're saying, when are we going to do that bit? I'm saying, well, the thing about that bit, the self-work as adults, mm. is it's not a cause. And we have to, you know, it's a consequence. We can't yeah. deal slap a band-aid on the consequence you know sending you to a nice spa and telling you to speak nicely to yourself is not going to do it what we have to do is go Get through to yes and, and the metaphor i use the i trauma. really need to find a new to. one it's it's like you go into the kitchen every day and then the floor is wet and so you're always mopping this floor to dry the floor but the problem is yeah. not that the floor is wet the problem is that the radiator is leaking yes you have to fix the radiator and the yes. radiators the story that we're telling mm. ourselves yeah. As a consequence of which we mm. feel bad. And mm. and the nature of those stories is going to be around perfectionism, around mm -hmm. need for people pleasing and need for approval, mm. around a desire which are for all certainty. leading to burnout. Absolutely. All these people burning out. It's all yeah. back to the leaky radiator. Absolutely. So so that's mm. what I do really is I help people yeah. to I'm a plumber. <laughs> I help it? people to 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 Excellent. identify the problem with the radiator yeah. and help them to fix yeah. it. Yeah, um, but I assume that a lot of that is healing a lot of trauma. Oh, it absolutely is because when you mm. when you can develop that self awareness and you understand yourself so much better and you have that mm. compassionate curiosity and you have mm. the tools to think in a healthier, more flexible way, mm. then you can start healing because you've made yeah. some changes because you can't mm. fix it. If, if if nothing mm. changes, then nothing changes. You can't just fix it by wishing it or by trying lots of stuff that's all about dealing with consequences. You have mm. to go back to the root. You know, you have no, to go back to the root. You, you do. Um, so when I hear that, I think of, um, no, don't say her name, um, someone very close to me in my life who won't yes. look at our childhood trauma. I think I just gave it away. But anyway, um, I totally gave it away, but she'll forgive me. Because she thinks it's ripping the lid off Pandora's box. And I think that's almost like, I want my self-worth like this. It's yeah. almost like ripping the lid off. But you can't. I mean, you can't do that, can you? No, you can't do that. You can't do that. And the thing so, is that what's actually preventing people from ripping the lid off the box is fear. You know, mm. It's all about fear of losing control um, because what's in the box will be oh, so overwhelming and so overpowering that it will beat us that we won't survive it. Um, and you, if we've got the right kind of help, you know, yeah. not only do we survive it, but we yeah. move past it. Have it you becomes... usually found when you've walked through and you've had numerous clients and you've walked through this, and I'm still yeah. thinking of my own experience, the box was actually decidedly smaller than I thought it was. Yes. <laughs> and I had piled so much stuff on it in my yeah. head. Is that quite Remember this well? rich, vivid imagination of ours? Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. We can imagine stuff. Mega big. <laughs> Absolutely. And fear is a really powerful emotion. Yeah. A really powerful emotion. You know, anxiety is this sort of root of all of that. Um, and it, it makes things bigger and deeper and stronger than they actually are. So yeah. if we can kind of shine the spotlight on the stories what's the story I'm telling myself that's leading me to feel like this yeah. It's leading to this fear, to this anxiety? When we shine a spotlight on it, mm. it kind of withers up and becomes this, yeah. this small, Smaller thing. ugly, broken thing um, rather than this with. massive, all-conquering, all-powerful thing that could mm. destroy us. Um, we have to shine that spotlight on it and we have to challenge oh, yeah. it and it takes its legs out. Yeah, 
How do you know? So I'm going to ask you a different question to what I was going to ask because I think you've already given the advice and the reassurance to people that it's not, you're not ripping a bandaid off. And I just, I, I cannot make that. And I, I'm sure that's what prevents a lot of people from taking a step. Because that- I, I think it does. But one thing to, to mention before you ask a mm. question is that sure. we need to do that work with somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, with yes. somebody who's trauma-informed because trying yeah. to do it yourself um, can lead to a lot of self-medication <laughs> with all sorts yes. of stuff. To try. Um, we just don't know. We, we don't have the tools to handle it. We don't have the knowledge. Mm. We don't have the experience. And having someone in your corner who does is absolutely invaluable, but it's really mm. important that you have a relationship that is trusting. You know, when you go yeah. and you decide to work with a therapist or a or preferably a therapist that's trauma informed, not a coach, because they don't they don't have the you know they're not equipped to deal with these um, mm. Un- unless issues. they've done the two. So I was quite lucky. So yeah. mine first had done the both sides and also had her own yes. experiences and her uh, own ab- feelings. Absolutely, but again, but it really helps. I also think a lot of it's to hold our hand referral, isn't it? As well, mm. a lot of the time, like yeah. to, you know, ask your network who do they know who they and, and why, what drew you Abs- to them. Absolutely. But on the yeah. flip side, how do you know then when? a client is ready to even start the work because sometimes they must make an approach and you must think is there yeah, a I learn pretty quickly um the first session that anybody has with me is what I call the story session and it's it's a yeah. minimum of two hours where they tell me their story from cradle to now you know yeah. how they and they're going off into health into family into relationships into work into trauma yeah. into experiences and it's very rare that that we have a chance to just talk about ourselves for two hours to somebody who's interested and sympathetic. Yeah. Um, and that session is in itself really therapeutic because I've, I've got yeah. so many clients who, you know, during that story session, they're kind of going, oh, hang on, that sort of repeated that pattern there and maybe that, you know, came out of that and they're already making connections because yeah. they've never had that opportunity to do that before. So they're being their own therapist, really. And once they start to be able to see those connections and those consequences, it's like, right, I know what I'm dealing with now. It's got more of a shape. And while they're telling that story, it gives me a really good opportunity to listen to them and to observe what's going on for them. And it's very hard for someone to stay hidden during that Mm. session. They're also showing that willingness to start connecting dots. And I think that's some of it, isn't it? Well, the most thera- the first know- therapeutic decision is is the choice to work with somebody. It's when yeah. you decide, right, I am going to sort this out with someone's mm. help, and that mm. sends a huge positive message to to your own, you know, your own mind, yeah. your psyche, your inner child. That right, we're on this. We're yeah. going to help. The cavalry's we're coming. Off. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's the first positive step, and then yeah. that story session where they start to see. This isn't so ungovernable. It's not so unmanageable as I thought. There is a shape to this, and there is a person yeah. here that's going to help me with this. Yeah, and it's I think it's when you've got that trusted partnership. Mm. And, and it'll, there it'll are times where I have people, actually said, it? "Yeah," but there are times very mm. quickly when I have actually said to somebody, mm. "Right, you're not ready for coaching at the moment. You really need deep therapy." And yeah. it, 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 I don't do that work mostly anymore. I send them off mm. to somebody who does to somebody who is exactly. really deeply trauma informed and then I say yeah. come back and see me when you've you know when you've kicked its ass um yeah and then we'll work on the coaching we'll work on who you're going to be when you grow up yeah no I agree with that because I've actually worked with business coaches for example who I could yeah. tell wouldn't have been able to deal with my, my complex yeah, yeah, yeah. PTSD and you know the, yeah. the, that real childhood trauma 
and you have to be really honest about it you have to be you know it's not about my ego it's about what works what's good for you for the client as I as I HSP, there's no way you want to not help people as well. So no. you absolutely you just couldn't. We just couldn't. We feel the consequences. We genuinely feel them. We do. And we have to recognize that compulsion sometimes for what it is, which is inappropriate sometimes. You know, we're not the right person. We're not the best, yeah. best person for that person now. So sometimes yeah, it's such to... a great feeling though when you admit that. Oh and they always they yes. always come back as well, or they'll refer you other people, or you know, because you've been honest and And what about, so just if you were to look back from the person that started working on yourself and the person now, what would you say the difference is? Like, do you feel lighter or happier or or grounded or what do you, what's been the biggest? I feel I have this incredible, peaceful sense of self-acceptance and, and self-compassion. Um, and that doesn't mean I'm not tough on myself occasionally. You know, I still give myself a good... It's still human. And yeah. Uh, but it's just incredibly peaceful to not it feel is. any shame and to no. not... Because I used to... I used to... I cry a lot, you know, and I... In mm. fact, I don't cry so nearly as much as I used to because I'm no longer trying not to cry all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I used to be... I'm fighting. Don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. I can cry at TV advertisements. Oh, I can literally God. be not crying and then crying one minute later. I can watch a Absolutely. reel and cry in the space of 30 seconds. <laughs> But I really enjoy that kind of crying now. It's yeah. like, oh, it's just, it's just a um, bit of energy. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, it's it's when you're at work and you're you're doing a you've got an advertising agency pitching to you, and, and they've shown you this little video as part of their work thing, and the, the lights come up and you're sobbing. <laughs> oh, the shame, the shame. So I just don't. It have actually that shows anymore. you how brilliant that advertising campaign oh, is. Really Twenty percent of the population. <laughs> We're really going to totally good. feel it. It was really good. It was. If I tell you about it, you'll be crying too. Yeah, um, don't, don't. God, but, this is a happy podcast. Baggage handles. With a really depressing name, but it's a happy podcast. Um, uh, but so, yeah, so that self-acceptance, mm. and it's so peaceful because I just, I think a lot of this is all to do with, you know, having passed the midlife point um, as, mm. as a woman. As well. You know, I think yeah. it, it, it's sort of built into so many of us, wired into so many of us um, mm. that we have to look after everybody else. Uh, and I know that there mm. are, there are women out there that don't conform to this, but you know, when you feel that, certainly as I did with my approval addiction, that I needed mm. to make everyone else's life better at the, often the expense of my own. And when yeah. you kind of get rid of that perspective and it becomes healthier and more balanced, oh, it's just so peaceful. You know, it's mm. so peaceful not beating yourself up and not feeling ashamed yeah. for being too sensitive or too vulnerable or whatever it yeah. is. Um, and as a result, now that I've stopped needing not to cry and stopped mm. feeling that that sense of shame that I used to feel, yeah. it's just, ah, oh, I'm so much more self-supporting. I'm so much mm. more um, just at ease, you know, and accepting mm. of, of who I am. And yeah. I like myself a lot more. So, yeah, peace. It's funny, every time you say the crying, I think of, I was constantly being told I had crocodile tears, but it never stopped me crying, strangely. Yeah. <laughs> Considering the words that she held at me, that one just never really sunk in. I don't think no. you can. I think it's hey, just be if you're gonna cry, you're gonna cry. But I if love that you released yeah. the shame um, and the and all of it. I mean it it is it is such a gift, but it is also so tough. And I just you know, I do hope that um for people who read my book or listen to this podcast and aren't highly sensitive, that they give us a break. Because 
we can't help it when you walk past with this strong perfume and we're like, oh, my God, or whatever it might be. I can walk past the privet and just be stopped dead and go, oh, God, oh, you know, it's like blocks nose. Oh, in the airport, you should see me walk through Judy Free, straight oh, through my nose blocked. I have no shame now. I walk through really obviously oh. blocking my nose so they leave me alone. Um, I, I had just, a job yeah. once that um, <laughs> they had this big fabric. It was in a law family and, and yeah. uh, I was brought in. It was a weird job. I was brought in and my boss was immediately sacked and I was immediately given her job. It was very strange. Oh, genders. I, didn't, I didn't. Yeah. So she had this chair and this was in the. This was in the 90s, I think. When, do you remember all those really hideous, strong perfumes? There was one called Giorgio. Yes. Sorry, Mr. Armani, but it was called Giorgio. And they wouldn't allow it in restaurants because it just, you know, destroyed your nose buds <laughs> and took your nose off. And she yeah. would sit in this big tweedy chair and just go, squoosh, squoosh, squoosh. And I had to leave the room. And then, uh, of course, she had to leave. Headache. And I inherited her chair. <laughs> the first I thing I did was, was like, get Wash rid it. of the chair. I can't bear it. <laughs> I can't bear it. So out went that chair. But I could smell her for about two months. It was just Oh, I get the worst headaches. Yeah, yeah. You're insane. I can't think straight. It's just like I can't think straight. I'm just consumed by the smell. I had actually really funny experience um, on this trip in Texas with with the waitress that had really strong (laughs) perfume. Mm -hmm. And I I just couldn't, every time she'd walk over, be like, like, in a restaurant. Yeah, that. yeah. you'd think that would bizarre. be part of her job contract, actually, is that you can't do yeah, that. It's very strange, but, yeah, you have my empathy I, on that. I just so. want to interrupt you, right, for one second. I've been doing it all the way through. Sorry. And so, <laughs> I love interrupting. You, you writing this book is such a wonderful and extraordinary thing that oh, you are doing for yourself, but also for all of the people who are going to be helped by this book. Because I think it, I think what you're doing is profound and profoundly helpful and cathartic. So yeah. on behalf of all of us out there, oh. thank you. Thank you. Now, see, I'm totes emotion now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who taught me that expression. I'm joining in. I'm joining yeah. in. I get so over, yeah, I feel this is my sole path. I mm-hmm. feel called. I feel an incredible weight of responsibility to bring this to the world as well. Um, and it has been a fight on a soul level with my mother to write this book. So it's like I'm giving it my all and I'm coming out of the spiritual closet as well so it's gonna be quite interesting to see how all these people who know me as this logic recruitment person are going I'm sorry you've got what so yeah but where's her broomstick I I know (laughs) she'll be off but I just want the I just want to create more healing I want it to be acceptable I want to I want people to talk about it and be do you know what I'm not okay and I'm going to get some help yeah. And to encourage people to take a step. So, I mean, thank you. Without, you know, people like yourself sharing your stories, it does you know. You're, you're help, so welcome. And, and the first step, I think the absolute first step is to understand that we deserve it. We deserve that healing. You deserve it. Yes. Um, because when we, we can't seek help unless we mm. feel entitled to seek help. And we have that to be able so to true. give ourselves permission to feel entitled to be helped and to be whole and to be healthy and to give ourselves full permission to follow that yeah. path. And I think that the reason that so many people don't follow the path is because they haven't given themselves permission. They don't feel entitled. They still feel they're not good enough to even be helped. Do you know what? That's why I didn't know I was going into therapy. Mm. Now I know why. But I needed to. I, I went to see Michelle because of my career was in a like, What am I doing here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't go in. And then she went, hang on a second. 
<laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and realized that there was trauma and complex PTSD and all of that to heal. And it was, yeah, now I understand. Because actually, yeah. I if I'd been, I'm going to go and work on myself, I wouldn't have. So now I understand yeah. why I actually almost got blindsided into it. <laughs> but yeah, it's a- because the universe it. needed me to do this to bring yes. this book to the world, ultimately. Acknowledging it, so, understanding yeah. you're entitled to it, giving yourself right. permission, and you're then doing it. the doing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Caroline. Uh, no, Such I did get that right. Oh, God, yes. I'm saying my wrong <laughs> Caroline Ferguson. <laughs> that would be Caroline Ferguson. If people would like to get in touch with you, what, what's your what's the easiest way? They want to. Uh, they can say, do it. I'm on Facebook. Podcast. I'm on LinkedIn, yeah. and everywhere you'll find me as Caroline Ferguson Mindset Trainer. Yes. So Facebook, LinkedIn, and I've also got a website which is CarolineFerguson.com. It's so easy when you name your website, isn't it? Yep. I finally got there. I went all I these loops and first. then just went to me. It's so good. <laughs> I have this uh, this lady in the States that writes to me about once a year saying, have you tired of your website yet? No. No. Okay. <laughs> no, not yet. Sorry, Caroline no, not, Ferguson. Whatever. I just, <laughs> I'm the real Caroline Ferguson. <laughs> she can use one of the other dot whatevers. <laughs> you keep your dot com. <laughs> anyway, thank you again. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Beyond the Damage of Words. How brave, how vulnerable, all to inspire listeners like you to take a step or inspire others to take a step. Imagine what healing we could create if we normalize this conversation. So please pass this on and of course subscribe so we can do just that. Until next time, thank you.